you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Live from the NASDAQ market site, this is Fast Money. I am Brian Sullivan, and your traders tonight are Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Steve Grasso, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, you guessed it, more new highs for stocks. But as prices go up, so do valuations, especially in big tech. Are things looking a little uh, 1999 out there? NYU's Dean Evaluation will join us with his thoughts. Plus, We've got not one, not two, but five calls of the day. The traders will break down the names in Wall Street's focus. And Steve has got a fast pitch on one red-hot camera stock that he says has more room to run. The name and why Steve is so excited. All right, hi, everybody, and good evening. Thanks for joining us on a busy Thursday. All that ahead, but we have to start with the top story because 2020 is looking a lot like 2019. More new records. The S&P, Dow, and NASDAQ all posting all-time highs. But there are a couple of big events that could shake things up in the coming days, beginning with that big jobs number tomorrow. The expected signing of the phase one trade deal next week. Now, Iran is calmed, but it's not gone. And everyone seems to be guy wondering about the Fed. So how should investors be getting ready for all of this in the macro setup with a market that just cannot be held down? Yeah, and I've said it for a while that I've, I've definitely made this more complicated than it has to be. And it's interesting, you know, the big knock against Bitcoin is it's created out of thin air. But quite frankly, that's exactly what the Federal Reserve has been doing since September. They've been creating liquidity out of thin air. And to me, that's all that's juicing this market. I mean, now you're north of $400 billion over the last three and a half months. By April, the Fed balance sheet put record levels. That's really it. I mean, jobs are important. Yes, China deal, all those things, this overrides everything. So as long as the Fed keeps playing this game, I think the market keeps vaporizing higher. And that's exactly what it is. This is indiscriminate buying. There are at least 20 different indicators, metrics, name it what you want, that are at levels that are historic in terms of being overbought or upside risk, yet the market doesn't seem to care. And things we look at when we talk about, we talk about the AAII bull bear spreads, and we're basically at a spread of, of you know, effectively where we were at the wides. We pulled in a little bit earlier in the week. If you want to look at CNN's got a greed and fear index, we're at a 90. What's that mean? Well, you know, extreme greed is 95. And we were at a minus one back in Christmas Eve of 2018 when everyone was about to jump out of a window. Uh, if you think about the Fed, and this is really, I think we're universally uh, accepting of the fact that the Fed is the reason behind most of this. I know we got a trade deal. I know we got this and that. But the Fed is your back. You had Fed Clarita vice chair out there again today giving you some indication easy as she goes until mid-year. And also, when you talk about this repo crisis, the sense is the Fed's going to be buying at least $60 billion in bills in the short end of the market for the next few months, which means they're going to continue to grease the liquidity scale. That means that on some level, on some level, valuations don't matter. I know the dean's going to be here talking about that. But at some point, valuations do matter, and I think they're starting to. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, that's fundamentally what we use as fundamentals to value stocks. And I hate when they sort of levitate on nothing because the bar gets higher and higher and the earnings expectation gets higher. And so it's a lot easier to miss. And I, that wouldn't be surprising to see that. I mean, I look at 
the volatility index today down 7%, right? I mean, under 13. So I own S&P puts. I need to protect the long side. And, I mean, it's just volatility Volatility getting crushed. Nobody cares. Karen, at a time when missiles were flying from Mm. Iran at two U.S. air bases in Iraq. 72 hours ago, things looked... Very different. Right. I, I mean, to me, the VIX, you got to own it if you want to stay long stocks because it's too cheap. I, I think the balance sheet, to Guy's point, Tim's point, balance sheet is what caught most people off guard. Adding liquidity is what caught most people off guard. I think you're going to get an opportunity to sell the, the market on China. January 15th. Now? Yeah, you could sell it in phase one because there's going to be a gap between phase one and phase two. And earnings. I think earnings could surprise to the downside. There, there's your opportunity. That gap, Steve could be years. I mean, how long did it take us to yeah, get well, to phase one? Well, that, the, the point is, is for me, I think it's bullish to have a certain amount of time between the two phases because it keeps shorties on their heels. Well, the, the, the absurdity is that we created a problem and we slowly don't solve it and we actually get more bullish. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what's happened here. I mean, and I realize that there is a fundamental problem. And in fact, we're not a, politi- a political show, but we know on both sides of the aisle, there's, there's certainly unanimity in terms of what we might need to do in terms of our China policy. But when you get back to it and what's really rallying, by the way, Asia is really rallying. Emerging markets of which China is 40 plus percent have been outperforming. So if you think about where we are here for stocks, um, mega cap tech, of which a lot of it is Asia exposed, has really been what's been outperforming. And I know we're going to talk about Microsoft. We seem to talk about Apple every day. But the triple Qs are outperforming the S&P, which is up 12.5%, which means triple Qs are up almost 16.5% since October 3rd low. So, That's you know, enormous. I think the mar- what the market was expecting, though, after phase one, at least what I was expecting was maybe a couple of months later, but we heard President Trump say he could wait until after the election. That, to me, allows you a window of opportunity to maybe sell the print or sell the news. So but do you believe that, by the way? I mean, on, on how long he's going to wait? Do you think he order? can really wait until after the election? I, I think he's going to hold it. I think he's going to hold it out because I don't think he, he thinks he can get a deal done before the election. So he makes it as if it's his choice. But to a lot of that is after. posturing, too, where you're basically to- totally. Toning, totally. I will be here after the yes. election. Yes. You know, Guy, I wish we had the chart. I should have done it. It's my fault. If you charted the S&P 500 versus the Fed's balance sheet expansion since October, it's a they're perfectly one correlated. I mean, perfectly correlated. Two to one. Yeah, and we've, it's not like we haven't talked about it. You know, you've talked about it a number of times. We've talked about it on the show. I mean, that's clearly what's driving this ship. Now, again, it doesn't matter. If you own a stock, it goes from $5 to $10. The reasons why don't matter. You have twice as much money as you did a week or so ago. That's a great thing. But don't confuse that with fundamentals of these companies, because quite frankly, fundamentals for most of this market have been thrown out the window. With that said, there are sectors the fundamentals I think are working, and we've outlined those. Look at healthcare, for example. A name like Eli Lilly continues to make all-time highs. Merck trading around all-time highs. So big cap pharma, which fundamentals I think are behind it, continue but to work. could you say that the fundamentals are, are just that, liquidity issues in the market? Because when the Fed was shrinking the balance sheet and tightening, that was the reason why people were exiting. So the same correlation you saw in the S&P was the same correlation we see now back then. So now it's the reverse. So now they, they might not be loosening, they might not be cutting, but they are expanding the balance sheet oh, but, yet again. I think we have to be careful here because I think that, Tim, when we look at who our audience is, right, the audience that's watching, listening to Fast Money, let's assume a lot of the people driving home tonight, they're, they're individual investors. They're not buying and selling or stopping their 401k on the Federal Reserve on a day-to-day basis. Right. There's two markets out there. There's the investor who's going to put cash in month after month, year after year, 
saving for retirement. And then there's the high-frequency traders who maybe they just trade only on the Fed balance sheet. I don't know. Well, so it, who's in charge? What, I, I think we have found that passive investing certainly seems to be winning the day. And, and whether you're Graham Dodd or whether you're, uh, you know, someone that is following fundamentals over time. And basically, we've said this before, uh, money is made over time. It's also lost very quickly, which means if you stay the course, that's typically been the right thing to do. Um, I, I continue to believe that both the memory of 2008, 2009, uh, and some of these volatile moments of politics are the things that keep people up at night. I don't think anybody's worried about a 10% drawdown. Um, and I think the folks that you're referring to um, are very comfortable with having money in the market as long as they feel they can trust the market. And we've had these bouts uh, where people have not been sure whether it's been flash crashes, whether it's been the dynamic. Trust it if it's just the, the market Fed that's sort of the wind behind the sales. It, it's hard to. It really is because I think that any change in Fed posture will have a dramatic impact on this market. No, I agree with that. And Steve, I think, makes a fantastic point. Was back a year or so ago when they were draining liquidity, was that the same type of thing? I would push back and say, I think that's when the market finally looked at fundamentals and said, hey, wait a second, maybe these stocks don't deserve necessarily the valuations that they were awarded. But that's what makes markets, and that's a different conversation. Okay. Yes, it is. I'm sure we will continue to have it. But something else to be mindful of is earnings, because if you are worried about valuations and prices going up too far too fast, then you have to watch the E and P-E ratio. That is earnings, of course. We're about a week away from earnings season kicking into full gear. Let's go down to Bob Pisani at the New York Stock Exchange for what we can expect and maybe more of a conversation on valuation, Bob, and whether anybody down there is starting to really question how much more gas is in this market tank. Uh, that is the topic of conversation right now, Brian. Good to see you again. The good news is that stocks are continuing to rally because the market is assuming this magic combination of continuing job growth, a strong U.S. consumer, a trade truce, a friendly Fed, and maybe a bottom on global growth will magically produce an expansion of earnings in 2020 after an essentially flat 2019. Well, here's the bad news. Stock prices keep going up, but earnings estimates are really still coming down for 2020. They're not going up. Q4 estimates now, this is 2019, they're slightly negative. They've been coming down. Now, while estimates are still up for Q1 and Q2, they have also been coming down. Now, we all know it's typical for analysts to overestimate earnings estimates three, four percentage points and see them come lower as we get closer to the quarter that's being examined. But what is not typical is to have this happen with the markets at historic highs. Remember, the S&P rallied 12% in the fourth quarter on expectations that earnings would be higher in 2020. So prices up, earnings down, means the multiple the market's trading at is climbing really fast. So January 1st, 2019, remember back then, stocks were cheap. 13.9 forward earnings for the S&P 500. Expectations were low. We were well below that historic norm of about 16. January 1, we were at 18. Today, we keep going up. We're at 18.4. And that, by the way, is the higher end of its range in the last 20 years. So the obvious conclusion is that future stock gains are going to require the multiple to go even higher. And the issue everybody talking about down here, Brian, is how much more are you willing to pay for the market at this price? And, it, and at these prices, any negative factor that reemerges is going to drop the market fast. What? would that be? Well, the Fed retreating from its neutral position, some signs the consumer's getting exhausted, a return to tariff wars. Brian, they're even debating whether or not a really good uh, uh, report on jobs tomorrow, 200,000 maybe, the market's expecting 160. Would that even be enough? Or is that 
priced into the market right now. It's just getting very tough to move the market forward now without some really, really better numbers than we've got already. Back to you. Yeah, and by the way, we got this like election thing, from what I understand, about yeah. it, with people yeah. with very different ideas about the economy and tax rates and what else. But that's for another day. Bob Pisani, thank you very much. All right, so let's dive more into this concept of valuations and bring in the man they call the Dean of Valuation, Aswath Damodaran. He is finance professor at the NYU Stern School of Business. Aswath, welcome back. You've been listening to this conversation. Blunt, is the market as a whole overvalued right now? I don't think so. I think it's frothy. I think that, that there is a point to be made that the Fed has added to the froth in the last few months. But if you look at what's sustaining this market, it, it's built on four legs. The first is the cash flows from stocks are incredibly high. I mean, it, in, I'm talking about dividends and buybacks. There's, there's still around 5% of the level of the index, notwithstanding where the index is today. The second is, I don't think this market is pricing in high growth in earnings, but it is pricing in the expectation that earnings will not collapse. And the third is low interest rates. It, and there's a fourth factor, which is mood. This is a market that seems to think See, I, I call it a half-full glass market where it looks at the optimistic side of pretty much everything. And that can change overnight. I mean, we saw that happen in the last quarter of 2018, and it could happen again, I think, in the first quarter of 2020. But the larger question to ask is, should you be trying to extract yourself from stocks because you think they're overvalued? And my answer is no. All right, so at what point do we get overvalued? We're at, whatever, 19 times earnings on a forward basis. Is it 20? Is it 21? Where, where is I, that point where we say, okay, we got to go find something else to invest in because stocks are just too rich? The problem is with low interest rates, where are you going to go? I mean, it's a, I'm not sure you can go any place and find bargains in, this, in, a, in a world of low interest rates. I mean, real assets, financial assets, everything is being affected by low interest rates. What do you think about the market today is very much a function of why you think rates are low. And I ask people to do a thought experiment. Let's assume tomorrow central banks all step back from acting. Where do you think rates will go? If your answer is T-bond rates will go to 4 or 5%, you should be terrified. If you think that they're going to go to 25 to 3%, I think you're going to be okay. I think the 25 to 3% is more likely than the 4 to 5% because even though the, the central banks have had an effect, I don't think the effect has been as large as people think it is, given the fact that inflation stays low. And real glo- growth globally is not that robust. The U.S. has been doing better, but the rest of the world has not caught up yet in terms of real growth. Sir, Karen, let me ask you something. If, if we were to actually get to 25 or 3%, uh, the I think that would have a pretty dramatic effect on stocks in the short term, at least, with the fear of, all right, maybe inflation's around, maybe it's actually going to go higher than that. What kind of pullback would you see in the stock market if we did go to that 25 or 3% range? I, I think it's very much a function of how rates get to 25 to 3%. If it happens quickly and with no fundamental reason other than higher inflation, that's really bad news. If it happens because the economy is doing stronger than expected, it's mixed news. So I think it really depends on how quickly it happens and what fundamentals accompany the change. Dean, when you look at the, one of those shocks being a recession, how do you, how do you uh, think about that where just a handful of months ago, wh- where were we when we thought we were sliding off a cliff as far as growth? What type of percentages, because things can change 
pretty quickly. So your shocks were political. They were a recession uh, and they were a, a, a boost in interest rates. So we heard about the interest rates. But what percentages or maybe you don't do that. But what type of percentage are you putting on a recession possible in the next uh, year and a half or so? I think one of the things I've noticed across the world is how companies in markets have kind of disconnected from domestic economies. I mean, if you go back to 2013, 2014, while the U.S. economy was growing slowly, U.S. companies were still posting high growth in earnings. So I think that when you see a recession, unless it's a global recession, you're not going to see the earnings consequences you might have seen 20 or 30 years ago. So I think the link between how well the economy is doing and how well companies' earnings are doing is weaker than it's been historically because of that reason. Professor, um, we gave you the name Dean of Valuation, so it's not entirely <laughs> fair. But, but I feel like we need to throw, just crumple up the syllabus and, and that the class you were teaching 10 years ago makes no sense anymore. And, and again, I, I wish I could have attended that class. Uh, I probably could not have been admitted to that university. But, but the bottom line here is um, I think valuations at some point are, are the ultimate arbiter uh, of where the market is going to go. Uh, and when things get too cheap, they are too cheap. doesn't mean that day. But I, I don't hear your saying that they even matter anymore. That, that, that's surprising. No, I'm, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying given where rates are today, I don't see stocks as being overvalued. And that's why I said what you think about this market boils down to what you think about interest rates. If you feel interest rates are being kept artificially low by central banks, which most people think they are, the question is how much lower are they than the natural rate that you would see if they weren't doing what they're doing? The answer to that question is really what will drive how much you allocate into equities and what you do about this market today. Thank you. Oswald, it was a good discussion as well. And with these valuations, I'm sure we, we might be taking your class again soon. Thank you very much. And by the way, have a great time in San Diego, founded by the Germans in 1909. Thank you. Come on. So we got this chart because this team is the best in the business. So look at this chart before we go to break. This is the Fed versus the rally, okay? The orange, I don't know what the orange is. One of, one of those is the stock <laughs> the, the, the orange, orange is probably the Fed, the Fed. balance sheet. Yeah. Yeah. And the blue is the S&P 500. And it doesn't matter which one it is, because if, even if you're on the radio, they're basically the same line. And, and, and again, a point I know that Steve is making, Tim, Karen, we've been talking about this since the fall. I mean, I understand the Dean evaluation. I respect his opinion, but it's hard to argue with what you just showed there and what people on the radio are listening to. They're correlated basically one to one. Well, I guess, yeah, and, and bring up that chart again, because the, here's the point, here's the point, spot. Steve, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't have market gains on that type of thing. The question, I think, is very simple. What happens when that orange line starts to turn down? Well, it's, it, there's no question. We know what's going to happen. And, and I do think, you know, October 3rd was the low that the market traded intraday that it then has moved 14% since. And it was effectively around that time that the Fed came in there and talked about the mid-cycle adjustment, but also talked about the repo market stress and, and talked about what they were going to do to counteract that and say that it was not necessarily um, a, a adjustment, but that, in fact, it was them doing what they need. Look, bottom line here is this is yep. ephemeral. And we've had these moments. And if you think about where we got to for the Jan 26 blow off high of 2018, what fueled that? It was it was extra sugar on an economy and a market that was already doing well, which was the tax cut. Well, be careful. It, 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 good advice there, Tim, as always. I think we've got our song to pour some sugar on I me. Mean, that's got to be the song. We, so leopard tonight, market. the gauntlet's been laid down. 
Def Leppard is the band. Well, Here we you go. You could say there is some hysteria. Uh, I mean, coming up, <laughs> what the Mason Point, Parton Place, and the Union Station have in common with one stock just out with earnings plus a fistful of fast calls for you. Five different calls the day. As always, we are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones, from powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY, a big idea that inspired the world to invest differently and still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. All right, welcome back. We've got an earnings alert on KB Home. The stock is down a little bit, about 1.5% after hours. The conference call just getting underway. Let's find out what they're saying about their business and the housing market with Seema Modi back at HQ. And the key metric to watch, Brian, is housing revenues were up 15% year over year. CEO Jeffrey Mesger on the call saying it fell a bit short of its anticipated range as some of the deliveries in the Bay Area were delayed due to the fires and power shutdowns. Yet he's still very optimistic about the macro picture from lower rates, strong jobs market, and a lack of supply fueling the housing market in 2020. Uh, the company did witness strong demand for its built-to-order products as well. The expectation, Brian, really high going into today's report with KB Home up about 68% over the last year. However, in the past three months, home building stocks have trailed the broader market over concerns around the economy, a pullback in first-time home buyers. Analysts at Raymond James warning that rising costs from a tight labor market and prospects of higher rates are the key risks facing the housing sector in 2020. Yet the street is still very positive on the stock. Raymond James has it as its top pick, pointing to the 30-year fixed rate, which just fell below 4%, a 13-week low. And SunTrust says among the home builders, it's one of its favorite names in the space. Brian? All right. Good stuff, Seema Modi. Thank you very much. And by the way, the riddle that we had before the break, the Mason Point, the Parton Place, the Union Station, they are all models of KB Home. Random but interesting. So let's trade the stock. It's been up 70% in a year. If you owned it, should we sell it now? It's, it's a hard act to follow, but lumber costs have backed off a little bit. Labor's still a problem. But when you look at on the back of Lennar, if California is improving, then KB Homes should do better. But I think the bar was set a little too high right now. If you still think unemployment's going to stay where it is, rates are going to stay where they are, I think you're okay buying the home builders. Quickly, in early January of 2018, this was a $39 stock. January, basically, of 2019, it was an $18 stock. It has now round-tripped that entire move. So you're talking about the potential for a major double top around this 39 level off these earnings now. So to Steve's point, it's had a great run. I don't see any compelling reason to go run out and buy the stock and initiate here. I think there's a pullback in store for KBH. All right, good discussion there. All right, by the way, you can always watch us live on the go on your phone or your tablet and the CNBC app. Check it out. But right now, we've got a lot more fast coming up. Here is what is on tap. Tesla taking a breather after getting a stone's throw away from $500 a share. But will the stock rev up from here? Plus, why China's Internet stocks may be a safer bet than the Fangs. We'll have those stories and more when Fast Money comes back. 
people today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, Wall Street working overtime last night because today an abundanza of analyst calls hitting the tape. And we have found the five most interesting. We are calling it what else? Our fast five. So you guys ready? It's going to be be fast. Let's kick it off with Tesla. Now, you had two downgrades today. R.W. Baird cutting its rating in neutral, while CFRA says sell the stock. Of course, Tesla was flirting with $500 in early trade before backing off. Guy Adami, those two calls, bold. Bold, yet I think they, one of them changed their price target from 325 to 525. So you can downgrade it all you want. They still see upside in the share. So, again, I've been pretty outspoken about my erroneous ways now for the last month and a half in this name. But now at least you're starting to see analysts potentially, uh, well, I shouldn't say it, but come to their senses and maybe taking some money off the table in the name. Well, it's interesting that that valuation seems to be coming into play here. That's my cynical comment, but you expected that from me on Tesla, where I've also been wrong. We'll get Oswald back on the phone. All right. (laughs) Stock number two, AMD. Now, AMD going the other way, getting an upgrade to a buy at Mizuho. The analyst upping his price target by 17 bucks to $55 a share. Karen, what do you make of it? Well, you know, I understand why they did it. They think, you know, there's some of the pricing pressure from Intel behind them. They think that uh, market share gains are in front of them. We've seen a turn in the space. All that's good. I just wonder, they were at neutral in 38 when the stock was a lot lower, and now 55 with the stock, I don't know, 48. We're close today, I guess. Uh, that, I'm wondering, it's either a really bold call or the horses left the barn already. I mean, it's up 70% yeah. in 90 days. I know. So that, I, I, I probably wouldn't make that call. for growth, they still go to these names. So they're, they're finding growth in the same names that they found growth in before. They can't switch it up. So it's almost on automatic pilot. Whenever you have the smoke clear, whether it's the Iran issue or whether it's any other geopolitical they go back into what's worth. Well, you know, you but, wonder, but, is there too few, too many people buying t- the same stocks? I know we've talked about it all the time, but it's like... Well, they're, they're crowded trades. Like, I mean, it's, it's it. Uh, Semiconductors and uh, fang, and that's it. Well, I think in AMD's case, it's been a phenomenal run, but I think you're bringing on the heartache because ultimately you've got a dynamic here where valuation doesn't make sense. I know it's not the valuation show anymore. But. All right, stock number three, Starbucks. Barclays upgrading the stock to an overweight. Analyst likes the company's global growth. Starbucks is now back above $90 a share, Steve Grasso. But is it worth any new money considering it's below where it was, what, a year ago, six months ago? This is a stock that always figures out how to survive. But I don't like that they're pushing more into digital because I like getting into the store and ordering. Waiting on the line. Picking up those second, third, fourth other items online, that stupid coffee mug that you don't need. I don't, I don't like the whole idea of either delivery 
or your order's waiting for you in the end. And it seems that's what, why. But digital's driving so much revenue for them. I mean, it, it is, but I think so- ultimately, longer term, they're getting people that they wouldn't ordinarily get. But when the people that ordinarily buy from them start using digital versus going to the stores, I think they buy less. You know, yeah, you wonder, and, and I know it's a little bit off topic, guy, but I know there's people you see on Twitter, or whatever, that are like, they're, they're, they don't like the app. Because if you go to the store, you're second in line, and, and very 45 much so. people come in ahead of you <laughs> to pick up their yes, cups. And you know what you do? You leave. And the people who pick up their cups, they don't buy anything else. Right. They don't get that 600-calorie scone. Yeah. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Scone. Why'd you, why'd you tap him why in the belly? I <laughs> wasn't do good about that. that was funny. <laughs> Maybe they All need right. to clean that part up. But, again, you know, it's the valuation show. So, real quick, I mean, this stock's trading close to 28 times next year's numbers on maybe 11% EPS growth. I mean, that's a little... F- Frothy. Whoa. Oh, nicely done wow. But by the way, the wholesale cost of coffee has come up about 25% in the last couple of weeks. Just something else to watch. I like that. And I see what you did there with the Def Leppard. All right, Thank stock you. number four, Coca-Cola getting an outperform rating at Credit Suisse. The analyst sees revenue growth. Tim? Speeding up. Well, I tell you what, this has been a rocket. And, and if you think about it, it's also a Def Leppard song. But it's also the case where Coca-Cola, which we've been left for dead, is actually, when you're talking about 4% same, uh, or comp growth for a company that did nothing for a long time, it's actually kind of interesting. But when you think about how Coca-Cola has slowly expanded well beyond the carbonated soft drink CSD space, it's a global brand. It's an iconic brand. In fact, I think it should trade at a major premium. I'm long the stock. I think you stay there. Anybody else around the table long Coca-Cola? No, not for years. Why not? I don't know. It just always seemed expensive. And then there was, you know, pressure on carbonated beverages. Not too late for love. Well, it's never too late for love. (laughs) You're not fooling. (laughs) Anybody else? No? Not there. Okay. Finally, rounding out our fast five, and that is Shake Shack. The Shack, Raymond James, initiating coverage with an underperform. The analyst says the street is, quote, overly optimistic on the stock heading into this year. And next, Steve Grasso, your take? Well, I'm long the stock. I bought it off this dip, uh, the most recent dip, and I would have. I think this call is late. Stock's down from $105. They grow quicker and they have better margins than the rest of the quick serve restaurant space. I'm there. It seems like it's stabilized around this level. I think it's ripe for a pop. I think Ray J's late. Yeah, quick. I'm with Steve on this one. I mean, this was at $40 to 110. Basically, this move is a 50% retracement, give or take. I mean. I think they're late as well. So I think if you're selling it here, you might be trading it wrong. I understand valuation, the show about valuations. This is a ridiculous one, but I think the move downward in the stock reflects that already. Valuation matter on a name that is growing more quickly than most of its peers? If they miss valuation, Matt, if the E comes in and the PE contracts. And I think that's what you got. They, they did show enough growth the last quarter, and you got massively corrected. But um, I'm, I'm with these guys. I think after this pullback, this is a stock we have been giving the benefit of the doubt in terms of the high multiple, and I think it's back to a place where you've, you know, you've priced that in. And listen, the stock fell a little bit today, but on that kind of call, the analyst uh, wasn't successful, could not Armageddon it. All right, on deck. Nice. The retail wreck, shares of Kohl's, Bed Bath & Beyond, and Macy's all losing investment money today but are there opportunities in these retail sell-offs but before that steve grasso he will take the mound he's got his next best idea why he thinks this storing media stock has more room to run it is grasso and the fast pitch watch that ball it's coming up All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Snap, snapping back in a big way. The stock jumping as much as 6% today following two upgrades. Both Cowan and Bernstein slapping outperform ratings on the stock. Now, shares are up 176% in a year. It sounds good. But remember, 
that's really just getting snapped back to its IPO price. But Steve Grasso says this comeback is just getting started. He's over at the plasma to give you his fast pitch. So, Brian, when you when you look at Snap, there's a couple of different things that get this thing going. They have uh, expanded their AR, their augmented reality. They have higher sales off of their automated uh, ads platform. They've opened up basically their sales and marketing to third party sellers. So if you look at their sales growth last couple of years, it's gone from 38 percent. I'm sorry, last couple of quarters, 38 to 48 to 50 most recently. That's respectively in the last three quarters. They've also navigated the political landscape. And if you remember what Twitter said, we're not taking any political ads. What did Facebook do? We're not fact-checking. What did they do? They said, we're going to thread the needle. We're going to fact-check. We're going to accept those ads. And all is going to be hunky-dory. And that's what's happened with the stock. Let's look at where it's come from. So when you go back, this is the IPO area right here. Stocks have a magnet to wherever they're IPO'd at. $17, that was your intro, Brian. That's where the stock IPO'd at. This was the major decline here where Facebook was going to steal everything. It's bread and butter. That didn't happen. Over here, this is around five bucks. That was your low. I've been long this stock from below 10, sold it at 12. I reestablished the position at around $14. So now if you're at 14 bucks or even now at 17, the major line in the sand here, bull bear, $17. If it holds that level, you could probably see low 20s. There's a bunch of analysts in the community right now that are negative on this name. Those are going to be converted bulls in short order with higher price targets. I'm looking for low to mid-20s in the name. That's a big move coming from where it is right now. Hey, Steve, um, you know, fair warning. I'm definitely one of those. Actually, that's Van Halen. But I'm actually one of those bears that needs to be converted. And, and I may be. Um, but I, my question is, the reversal in the shares was really all about user decline um, and stabilizing and some slight growth. Do you think that they actually have real growth ahead on the user side? Because on the ad side, I think they're in a good space. I think there's a lot of scarcity value in social for someone like Snap. So in the, on the user side, Tim, that's a good point. They were stuck at around 187 for a while. Now they've blown through that. So for basically from 18, 2018 to early 2019, they were stuck at 187 million. They're now at 210 million. So growth is coming back there. User engagement is coming back there. I think you're okay on that side of the equation. Steve, I think the report on February 4th, is this, is this you're probably playing into earnings and pull the ripcord? Do you think you stay with it post? No, I think you're right. That's, a, that's another great point, Guy. I think you, you want to track this because most people want to buy ahead of the news. So if they disappoint, this stock could come in drastically. So I would play it into earnings, pull the ripcord maybe a couple days before. All right. No more questions. It is now time to vote. Okay. Are you buying Grasso's pitch on Snap? Tim, we'll start with you. Yeah, I'm afraid I'm not going to. I was I, my light, my writing's not terribly good. That's not what matters. Steve did a great job. I, I I've been negative on the stock for for reasons that I think are around. I think this is more of a snapback rally off of those lows. I'm concerned about the user growth. Uh, snapback rally, get them. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. All right. Doing. I this is a disappearing pass. I wrote with the little Snapchat. You 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 lost me at Snap. I don't. I just don't think I could get on board in terms of valuation. I understand for a trade. That may be, and the momentum might be there to do it, but it's not going to be for me. 
Kudos to Steve who's been on this. Dan Nathan as well. I say stay with Snap. You know, their user base like to take, watch this, Tim, photographs, <laughs> which is why Snap does so well. Bernstein just initiated $20 price target. Jeffrey's a couple weeks ago, 21 I think it gets there. Okay. I like what you did. Again, you took the themes of the night. You made it relevant to the fast pitch. Yeah. Everything is coming no, to here. It's cosmic. All right. The desk has spoken. And, folks, now it's your turn. Are you buying Grasso's pitch on Snap? You can vote in our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money. The results will be revealed later on in the show. Up next, it's not just Snap. Chinese Internet stocks are on fire. Why? Later, we're hitting the mall. You might be able to find, might be able to find some deep discounts and retail's rough day. Stick with us. More Fast Money in two. And welcome back to Fast Money. There is only one group of stocks doing better than big tech since October, and that is Chinese big tech. The K-Web ETF that tracks much of the space is up nearly 30% in the past three months, and traders in the options market are betting the red-hot run is far from over. Christian Fromhertz is over at the Plasma with the options action. What are we seeing here, Christian? Thanks, Brian. So, I, you know, I think what's really interesting is the rally that we're seeing in the, in the China Internet names. And what we're seeing is both this is being hit both in the, in, in the ETF itself as well as the individual names. So the China Internet ETF, that's KWeb, um, has been recently seeing 11 times more call volume than put volume. So we're seeing a massive push going into these China names. And you could see as well what we have is a bunch of the individual names, names like Billy, IQ, TCOM. Now, these are, I would call, second-tier China Internet names. Um, we're also seeing the option activity in, in your larger names, such as Baba, Baidu, JD.com. But what this is telling me is two different things, right? The breadth is really strong in terms of the group. It's not just the Internet that people are going after. It's the actual individual names. And number two, what I, what I think is interesting is that it's also under-owned. So we're seeing this big push. And you could see that the China Internet ETF right now is up 7% versus uh, we're going to go to the next chart, which, which is uh, U.S. Internet, which is only up about 2-3% right here. So a couple things that, that I notice here in this chart, this right now is the the China ETF in the numerator and U.S. Internet in the denominator. So why this is interesting is because if you look at the chart, we are now starting to, we've had this base go on for a long time, and now we're starting to see what's known as a golden cross, where the 50-day moving average is actually crossing over the 100-day moving average and the 200-day moving average. So I think this move is just getting started. Hey, Christian, um, real quick, do you think that, first of all, the group of investors, so it, it, this is, these were big hedge fund trades. Um, these folks often hunt as packs. Um, I agree with you. The entire space is breaking out. What type of players are in here, or is this foreign buying that's actually recognizing the trade war, et cetera, doesn't affect the fundamentals for a lot of these companies? I think it's a, it's a little bit of both, Tim. I, I think really what we're seeing is institutional money that has been on the sidelines, that has been afraid to get into China, has now been pushing in. And I think it's a great time, too, considering that right now the, the, the trade war is taking a little bit of a backseat. It will you know, reemerge again, but I think it's been settling down the rhetoric, which has been a really great time for investors to go back in. Um, so just lastly, just, the, just alone, the, the K-Web ETF chart as well, you could see it's doing the same thing, right? So it's breaking over uh, the 50-day moving average has, cro- has also crossed over the 100-day moving average as well as the 200. So you get the golden cross both in the outperformance as well as the ETF itself. So I think even though this group has been you know, really on fire the last week, 
I think this move is just starting, and I think an option trade is a great way to express the view. I like going out a little bit further uh, rather than a lot of the option activity that we're seeing, which is pretty short term. So if you go out to the May 55 calls, you could purchase them for just over $2. That's about 4% of the ETF. and I think that's a great way to express a bullish trade uh, going out a couple months. Okay, looking good. Christian Farmers, thank you very much. I mean, again, Tim, you got to be careful. These ETFs, it's 10% Alibaba. It's got $0.10. It's Maituan Dianping, which is 8%, basically a Groupon clone. If you buy the K-Web, you really are buying four or five Chinese stocks, and that's going to control that ETF. And I I think that's right. Um, But Christian's point about the entire Chinese Internet space should not be lost on you. These are, first of all, IQ uh, is a $17 billion company. It's the YouTube of China. Um, They are growing. They are seeing enormous ARPU growth. That's right, Guy, ARPU. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I mean, the stock's been an animal. At at the end of the day, these are stocks that were, were not loved, and the entire group, at times, when it runs, it tends to overshoot. So momentum is certainly the, the, the order of the day when you're playing in these names. All right, good stuff there. For more options action, it is tomorrow night, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Of course, you'll see Fast Money first, then options action. Right up next, we're going to try to go bargain hunting at today's retail rec. A few names you might want to put in your shopping bag. And take a look at our Kramer cam. Jim is talking chicken. Find out why he is hot on the Tyson trade. <laughs> All right, more at the top on Mad Money, of course, the top of the hour. But stick in here in the meantime. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money, live for the NASDAQ. We're back after this. All right, welcome back. Really a store full of retail stocks that were on the move today. So we're going to bring back the good, the bad, and the ugly. First to the good. That is L brand. Uh, rallying 4%. Investors brushing off weaker than expected holiday sales and a guidance cut. Onto the bad, Macy's tumbling today, halting four straight days of gains. That stock down 2%. And it was a downright ugly day for Kohl's. Stock falling nearly 7% after reporting dismal holiday sales numbers. The overall retail sector struggling in today's trade, but is now the perfect time to go shopping. Karen, you're supposed to buy low and sell higher or buy high and sell higher. Right. Any opportunities you see in the retail space? Well, I look at the ugly. I, you know, I'm sort of drawn to looking at the ugly, and there's Kohl's. And I think, you know what, it's really cheap, but it should be really cheap. They've really lost their way. They had a lot of um, – you. they had hoped they would get some momentum back with Amazon. They, they've had a terrible fourth quarter or third to fourth quarter. It should be cheap. So I would rather sort of head to the expensive to what's working than trying to buy cheap and having it just become cheaper. So for me, I like to look at the name Target, which isn't Everybody cheap, loves Target. But they're, they're killing it, they're, right? They're just executing But again, we go back to what's again. our theme of the show? Valuations. 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 And valuations. So, I mean, so, Target at some point, the valuation, somebody's, no? I, I mean. Where's it, Oswald? Well, I, he <laughs> Think, would say the valuation Target. isn't crazy, right? <laughs> it's, it's, you know, where rates are here. Shopping. So, I, I like Target. I think that, you know, I want to be where the momentum is, not hoping that Kohl's can turn it around. Yeah, I, I hear what Karen's saying, and I agree with what Karen's saying. I, if, if I wanted to go bargain hunting, I would go to a Macy's and, and try to play it there. But I played it with a, a couple of other ones. Um, should I give mine now, or do you want to read Yeah, do it. That's the point of the segment. Good time to do it. I like the performers. I like Raw Stars. I like TJ Maxx. They, are, they benefit from everyone over-ordering and high inventory levels. So those have worked. I'm going to stick with those. And Costco, for, uh, for good measure, renewal rates off the chart. 
Comp December sales up 9%. Can't go wrong with any of those three. Yeah, those are a lot of people don't realize the Ross and TGX's guy, they, they are beneficiaries of others' pain. They buy that clothing inventory on buy the pain. maybe 10 cents on Mark the market. You know, and on 10 cents of the dollar, sell it to you for a discount. And those, but those stocks have been, I mean, look at a 10 year chart of TGX. Who would have thunk it? One man's pleasure is another man's pain. That, of course, is a Molly Hatchet song. That might be a theme tomorrow. But in terms of what I'm looking for is, you know, a lot of people have said let it go in terms of MasterCard and Visa. But, I mean, MasterCard and Visa continue to perform. Now, MasterCard now close to 35 times next year's number is absolutely getting expensive. But into earnings in a couple of weeks, I think you own both MA and letter V. So really quick, I'll go back to good, bad, and ugly. The, the good is Nike. Nike continues to outperform. We saw their North American comps. They, they clearly are growing both uh, in terms of their direct-to-consumer. It's totally helping margins. The bad is Home Depot. Even though it's a great company, it's been a bad investment over the last six months or so and flat to sideways. But I think, again, that, that analyst day where they guided down is something that was very, very overly conservative. And I think their investments in technology were working finally. The ugly is Ulta because there's so mm. many structures headwinds in cosmetics, et cetera, but they've gotten into skincare, they've gotten into bathware. Uh, I do think this stock makes sense in terms of GPM uh, accretion going forward. So that's, that's, your, uh, that's your, your play where it's out of favor, and I do think there's an opportunity there. Our good stuff there. Karen still likes Target as well. All right, up next, it's your final trades. We're back right after this. All right, time now to find out if you, all at home or wherever you are, bought Grasso's fast pitch on saying you got to own shares of Snap. Looks like you're getting ghosted, Steve. Oh. It's okay. Strikeout on your Snap fast right. pitch, apparently. Do we Listen have the to that. Can you hear that? That's the leopard right there. Do we have, like, the ratio, like, the percentage? That of is ra- so, one of the, might be the best song, by the way. All right, 51.49. <laughs> no, I, it looks like it's bigger so than that. All right, we don't know so what it was either way. They didn't buy it. All right, time now for your final trade. Let's go around the horn, Tim Siebel. Steve did not die hard, the hunter. Uh, let's go to Nike. I, again, I think world-class company that the Ascent, you can stay on it now. Aaron. Yes, world-class company is, I think it was your bad? It was my bad. Home Depot. Home right Depot on. is my good. I think I'm very optimistic on their ability to increase the numbers. I think you were probably right there, sandbagging a little bit. Right. I'm sticking with Snap. It's been a great winner for me on a percentage basis, and I think it goes much higher from like it. You're, you're, you're hanging on. Hanging should, on. As he should. Right. He's done a nice job yeah. with that. You know, a lot of people have been saying Armageddon it for Lyft and Uber, the last Def Leppard reference of the evening. But oh, Lyft since redundant. October has done rather well. Guy, thank you very much. Great show today. We'll see you tomorrow night. Mad Money with Jim begins right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.